0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. And in this house, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen, the church say Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning, in the, or tonight, rather, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. Just trying to fool you there, I guess. Hallelujah. Throughout the Word of God, sacrifices and offerings have been with us all along the journey. From Genesis, it would seem, into the New Testament pages of Scripture. From as early as the time that God was making coats of skins for Adam and Eve, which were more than likely necessitated by an animal sacrifice, uh, to the more regulated offerings in the book of Leviticus that tell us of the offering and the sacrificial system that was prescribed there in that book for all of Israel. There is one word that was normally used uh, to denote both a sacrifice and an offering. There are several others, but there was one particular Hebrew word that was used that could be translated either as sacrifice or as offering. It was that word and that term that would suggest that that sacrifice or that offering was a loss of something or a giving up of something. Its literal meaning in its Hebrew root word is this. It would mean to draw near. The word sacrifice would or the word offering to draw near the the end result then of the offering or the sacrifice was to draw. It was the objective was to draw the individual near to God. There are about three different basic concepts to this idea of offering or this idea of sacrifice. Number one, the concept that was related to sacrifice and offering was this and that was the concept of giving, of course. The second concept of offerings and sacrifice was one of substitution. And as I already mentioned, the third one was that of coming closer or drawing near. Whenever you consider the concept of giving, the concept of giving is this. It would require the giver or it would require the offerer to abandon something that belonged to them. It would require a person that was making the offering to let go, if you will, of something that was theirs. That's the reason why in Scripture, offerings by the most part were that of domesticated animals, amen, animals that belonged to somebody, not not wild beasts of the field or of the forest were normally accepted, but those that were domesticated because they belonged to someone, whereas the wild didn't necessarily belong to anybody, but those animals that that were domesticated, they belonged to someone. And so when they gave them to God as an offering or a sacrifice, they were giving up. They were abandoning, if you will, something that belonged unto them. They were giving up something that had been under the care of their hand, under the diligence and the eye of their hand. Secondly, when we talk about a substitution, the thing that was being offered became a substitution for the person that was making the offering, for the person that was making the sacrifice. In other words, the offering was nothing more but an extension of the offering. the The offering was nothing more but, if you will, an extension of the giver's life with great purpose then. I believe that David, who had been a shepherd, explains the motives of God, our great and high shepherd, in Psalms 23. As he begins to quote and state how the Lord is his shepherd. And he lists everything that that great God in the picture of a shepherd does for his sheep. Among those, David says, he leadeth me, the Bible says, in paths of righteousness for his sheep namesake. As a matter of fact everything that the shepherd does for the sheep is for his own namesake because the integrity of the sheep, the health of the sheep, the wool that will be taken off the sheep is an extension of the handling and the care and the life of the shepherd. If there's a good sheep that's in good repair and good condition it's because it had an owner who must have a lifestyle and a manner of life that also reflects the same and try as a person may to push a reputable sheep forward for the view of everybody else. It cannot be true unless the environment that that sheep has been immersed in is one that's been handled with care and diligence and concern because that thing, that offering, that sacrifice is an extension of the offerer. Of the one who owned it. But before there were any regulations, before Leviticus was ever penned about what was proper and the qualifications of offerings and the qualifications of sacrifices, we read in Genesis 4 that both Cain and Abel, the Bible says, brought an offering unto the Lord. And on the surface, it looks like one offering was respected and the other one was not. Cain seems to be already a little troubled, a little upset. The Bible states that his countenance had fallen because his offering was not respected, but his brother Abel's offering was respected. And over the years, let me just share with you a journey through ministry over 25 plus years of preaching the word of the Lord, that over the years i preached different angles of why Cain's offering was not respected and why Abel's offering was respected. I have preached in the past that Cain brought his offering, as the Bible says, in due process. Of time, and I've rather interpreted this as that he did not bring it when it should have been brought. And I've leaned on the idea that Cain delayed in, in bringing his offering, and so for that reason. His offering was not as excellent, if you will, as Abel's offering. In the past, I've I've done that. And, And through further study, as I've grown older and I've matured in the Lord, and hopefully matured somewhat in ministry, a little older now, a little better acquainted with the Bible, I understand how that phrase and due process of time really equally means and relates to the fact that Cain was a tiller of the ground. And that he brought his offering when the harvest was. In due process of time. He brought it when the harvest was ready. And so I preached that. And I apologize, I guess, to a certain extent. But I was just an unlearned person. And hopefully just a little bit more. Amen. Deeper in God's word now. I remember preaching in the past as a younger man. Amen. That Cain brought nothing with blood in it. Just walk with me here. Cain brought nothing with blood in it. There was no fat there. Amen. So it wasn't respected as Abel's offering because he brought the firstling of his flock and he brought the fat. And so evidently he had to sacrifice. So evidently there was some bloodshed. Yet the Bible plainly tells us that Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so when you come to the very basic of it all, it's this. Each simply brought what was afforded to them by their occupation. Cain brought The fruit of the ground because he was a tiller of the ground. Abel brought, if you will, of his flock and the fat thereof because he was a keeper of a sheep. I mean, how in the world can you fault a guy for bringing what is a part of his life? How can you fault a guy for that? I mean, Cain labored with the ground and he brought the fruit of his ground. Abel labored with the sheep and he brought them the first fruits of their womb, of the sheep. And so these offerings that they brought were suitable to their vocation. These offerings that they brought were suitable, if you will, to their manner of life. And there was no laws to regulate any differently. Right. All right. Come on. Does everybody follow me? Yeah. No laws to, to, to regulate any differently. And so what I ask tonight is this. Is it possible that there was nothing wrong with the type of offering that Cain brought in comparison to Abel's? Yeah. Is it possible tonight that there was nothing wrong with the time frame Or when Cain brought his offering in comparison to Abel's to bring disrespect upon it. But could I point your attention to verses number 4 and verses number 5 of Genesis? Because the Bible says that God did not simply respect an offering and not respect another offering. But the Bible says that God respected Abel and his offering. And he had no respect unto Cain and his offering. Someone say amen. What I come to tell us tonight is this. I don't believe this is an issue over timing concerning this disrespect. I don't think the issue tonight is over the type of offering. I believe the issue is this, and God stated it in verse 4 and 5. The issue is not the offering. The issue is the offerer. The issue is not what's brought. The issue is from whom it extends from. The offering is an extension of the man. Someone say amen. Cain brought something. He gave up something that belonged to him that was a part of him. It was an extension if you will of his life of his vocation of being a tiller of the ground. Abel brought something that belonged to him that was a part of him and he brought it and it was an extension of his life a keeper of the sheep but with reason God placed an acceptance and God placed a dejection if you will on the man before he did his offering because he said I reject I reject Cain and his offering. I accept Abel and his offering. Before he ever rejected the offering, he rejected the offerer. Before he ever accepted the offering, he accepted Abel, the offerer. Amen, amen. So God is more interested in the man uh-huh. Yes, he is. Uh-huh. Then he is the offering, or might uh-huh. we even say this? The offering is nothing more but a testament of the man. Yeah. That's right. The offering is nothing more but a witness of the man, yeah. because you cannot separate the man yeah. from his offering. Come on, yes, sir. This is more than just about grain from a field. Yeah. This is more than just about sheep from a fold. This is about an offer This is about life offerings. Yeah. Someone say amen. Amen. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse number 23, it says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift, call it sacrifice, call it offering, whatever you want to the altar. He said, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee, he says, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift in other words christ is admonishing us to leave our gift no matter how good we say it is no matter how honorable we say it is he said you leave that gift at that altar if there's some things that need to be made right between you and another man or can i throw in there between you and god he said you leave your offering i don't care I don't care how clean it looks. I don't care how admirable it looks. You leave your gift. If there's something not right in your life, you leave that gift and you settle the issue that's not right. You reconcile the issue that's not right. And when you get it right, you come back and offer your gift. So say amen. amen. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Good. Took my hanky away. I might need that. I got sleeves on my shirt. That helps too, though. And so when we come down to this, this, the gift within itself, the offering within itself on the surface may be sound, uh-huh. may be sound, may, may be good on the surface by all appearances, pure. But what we got to understand, even at that extent, it's still tethered in some way to the life of the owner still tethered in some way to the offer. It is an extension of, and you're going to hear me say that a thousand times, get used to it's an extension of that person. It's an extension of that life. That's the reason why when we skip over to the New Testament Scripture and we have this great gift that's been given to us called Christ Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave, that we received this gift of Christ Jesus, that while he is walking along on the earth in the earthly ministry, the Bible tells us over and over again, if you reject Christ, You reject the one who sent him because the gift is tethered to the, the gift is tethered to the offerer. God says, I'm giving my son. And if you reject him, you reject me because he is an extension of me. I am. There is a connection between the gift and the offerer. And so if we welcome and if we endorse the gift, if we welcome and we endorse the offering, then we are welcoming and endorsing the one who sent it. We are welcoming, amen, the one who offered it. These are life offerings. In other words, if God said, Cain, your offering's good, he would be in essence saying, Cain, you're okay. Okay. It may have been the best of grain, but God says, I can't accept it when the man who offered it is defiled. Mm, Someone say, "Mm." verse seven, God brings it home to where it was truly at, brings it home in verse number seven. He's talking about the acceptance of the person. Look at it now. You looking at it? He's talking. See, we're thinking it has to do with offerings. And God takes it right where it's at. He starts talking to Cain about Cain. He doesn't start talking to him about grain. That rhymes. He doesn't start talking to him about what he brought from the field. He starts talking to Cain about Cain. Because the root of the issue was not the sacrifice and the offering. It was the offerer. He says, let's talk about you, Cain. And he goes on to say, let's talk about this acceptance. Let's talk about this acceptance, Cain. He says, if you, huh? He said, if you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, he said, Sin lieth at the door. Uh And sin's desire is towards you, Cain. And sin would really like to overcome you, sin would like to be your master. Sin would be like to be the one that tells you to go and come and do and so. He said, but Cain, I've come to tell you if things are not well. It's because of sin. Sin is mastering you, and you need to become the master over sin. You need to stop being a slave. Yeah. 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 Someone say yes. Yeah. 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 He said, if it was well, yeah. you'd be accepted. But if it's not, then we got another issue. Sin is at the door. It describes sin almost like a crouching beast ready to pounce upon its prey. Sin is at the door. Notice what the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. Paul said, Paul basically told us this in this verse, that we should not be brought under the power of any. Or in other words, we should not be mastered. By any. You've heard me preached on this uh, principle of freedom. I did a series on these verses. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. The Bible says all things are lawful or permissible unto me. But all things are not expedient or helpful or good for me. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, it's permissible until you stop being the master and become the slave rather to it. There's a lot of fringe things we say on this, but I don't have the time to do it. Amen. Go back and look at the podcast. If we're being mastered, those lawful things, those permissible things are not helpful for you. Not profitable for you. And regardless of those things that are permissible, let's just consider the matter of sin right off. Blatant sin is off limits. I am not, I'm, not, I'm not pondering in my mind. There's some things, you know, they're, they're, there's like some people can, some people can't, blah, blah, blah. But there are some things that are in Scripture that are quite evident that God just calls sin, sin. And they are absolutely off limits. For that matter, anything that makes you a slave. Anything that makes you a slave outside of a slave to heaven is off limits. Anything that makes you a slave will make your offering dejected in the sight of God. Anything that makes you a slave. Oh, someone say glory. Uh-huh. You know what? God says Cain. He says sin lieth at the door. Now, notice, God did not tell Cain, He did not tell Cain, Cain, go kill sin. You hearing me? Because sin in reality can't be killed. He didn't say, go kill sin. Sin in reality doesn't die, it's not going away. What He told him was, you got to master it. Uh Sin's not dying. Sin's not going away. Temptation, for that matter, is not going away. But where the, 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 the pendulum swings and the tipping point is, you've got to learn how to master sin. You've got to learn how to master temptation. You've got to master what was mastering you. Cain, you and your offering have been rejected because you are being mastered rather than being the master of sin. All right. Come on. Romans 6 and 2, there's a phrase there. The question is, how shall we that are dead by to sin live any longer therein? Again, we, we don't kill sin. God even tell him, yeah, it's not that. He said, go out there and slaughter sin. No, no, no. He says, you've got to master it. We should not, we, 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 we don't kill sin, and we should not put ourselves in the position where we would die from sin. Wages of sin is death. That we wouldn't die from sin, but we should die to sin. Major difference of dying from sin and change one word of dying to sin. We must die to sin. Don't let sin be the master, disallow it. From having a say so. In your life. Because listen. Listen. The pastor here tonight. Take this home with you. Put it in your pocket. Write it down on a notebook. Listen to me well. Our offerings. Will not accomplish. What our lives. Will not practice. You hear me. Our offerings. Will not accomplish. What our lives. Will not practice. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In other words, Cain, you can bring the best of your field. Yeah. You can bring the best of your harvest. The best of your crop. You can even bring it in abundance if you want to, Cain. But that will never be able to repair what should have been lived out. Someone hear me? here's what I see in churches here's what I see in America here's what I see sometimes in conferences there's people that's putting forth their best offering but it's still not being accepted because the man is not practicing the life he should live God could care less about your offering when it's still tethered to a defiled life because that will never accomplish what your life does not live Listen to me, throughout the scripture, the offering had no power. Listen, the offering had no power to compensate. Its compensation effect was lost unless the offerer repented. He could, according to prescription even of Levitical law, he could have brought the right offering that was of the right age, of the right cleanliness unto the temple. And it would have been null and void if the person who brought it did not repent. He could have went through the checkoff list. That's good. That's good. That's good. All the offering, it's all great. But if the offer never repented, it wouldn't have the power to remit his. Someone say amen. And so no matter even how abundant the offering may be or seemingly good that it may be, it cannot compensate for an individual. That will not own their own sin and repent over it. Old Testament story that bears what I'm saying tonight, I think, quite well. First Samuel 15 and verse 22. Samuel has come unto Saul. Saul has went into battle against the Amalekites. The decree of the Lord from Samuel to Saul was this. Thou art to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Many of you n- remember and know this story. Thou art to utterly destroy the, 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 the Amalekites. We understand through scripture that Saul spared the king of the Agag, uh, uh, King Agag, amen, of the Amalekites. He spared what he called the good animals, the best of the flock, the best of the fatlings, the best of the oxen. and he spared all of that. And that, that troubled Saul, Samuel because he did not fully follow the command of the Lord and so Samuel comes to Saul he has a meeting with him in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22 and this is a little further in the story but Samuel says unto Saul hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Someone hear me? Someone hear me? Saul's plea to Samuel, though, is but, 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 I brought the best sacrifices back. I brought the best oxen. I brought the best fatling. I brought the best lambs I brought the best of the best as a matter of fact he said there was some other stuff there you can read it in your Bible verses 9, verses 15, verses 18 there's some other stuff there that was vile amen Saul's hand there was other stuff there it's counted as refuse if you will just trash and I destroyed all of that he said but the best of the sacrifices I brought to you God and I brought King Ahab. I brought all this and I'm keeping it listen Listen to pastor tonight. Some of the things that were kept and the things that were destroyed were all according to Saul's estimation rather than God's estimation. No, somebody's got to hear me tonight. Saul's going among here, and he's saying, well, that's good. That's really good. We can keep that. That's bad. We discard that. Well, who, who who is setting that standard? A flawed man is. A flawed man is. A man that's transgressing the commandment of the Lord. He said, that's good. How can you trust a transgressing man to say what's good and what's bad? He's saying, that's good and that's vile. i got the best God, and I'm bringing it to you. By whose standards is that the best? Destroy all Saul says that looks good. When sin lies at the door, what God calls evil, you'll call good. When sin's lying at the door, what God calls off bounds, we say we can make exceptions. And look at the story. Look at the story. And so Saul's response to Samuel's questioning about the animals. What's that lowing of the ox? What's all this I hear in the background? Again, Samuel, I spared the best. But listen, at the end of the day when it all comes to a close and the smoke has settled, God rejected Saul. God rejected those quote unquote best sacrifices that he had brought. And God slayed the great prize of the king too. What does that mean for you and I? I tell you what it means. It means this. The best will never be good enough. If the offerer is tainted because the offering is tied to the offer. it's a life offering. Yes, yes. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. I put a spot in here in my notes. That I can skip if I needed to expedite time right here. That if I need to, I could skip this part. So I just need to hear if you want me to skip this part or you just want me to preach. Amen. If you'll turn. All right. If you turned into Isaiah chapter number one. And I want to read a few verses of scripture here. Isaiah starting out in, in, in this chapter, starting out in Isaiah period. He's already been speaking about Judah. How Judah had been in a place, in a position that they had forsaken God. He even equates them to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen. That was the degradation that they had fell to, Judah had. And as he is describing them and even mockingly calling them to a certain degree, Sodom and Gomorrah. We pick up then the verses in the verbiage of scripture in chapter number 11. The Bible says, To what purpose? This is God speaking to Judah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Yeah. Saith the Lord. I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. He says, when ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts. He said, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul, hateth. they are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. God is saying, I'm tired of your sacrifice, I'm tired of your offerings. And if you make them more abundant, that isn't going to make them any more acceptable. He said the problem's not in the quantity. The problem is in the quality of the hands that are bringing it in. Uh, someone say Amen. He condemned them for their animal sacrifices and their other offerings and for their burning of incense and for all of their festivals and their feasts and their prayers and the volume of their offerings. was not the issue? He's saying there's an integrity issue here yeah. right. with the man. He says, "You, there are certain feasts and festivals. There's Sabbaths. There's things that you are keeping weekly. He says there's things that you're keeping weekly. There's certain festivals you're keeping monthly. There's some of them that you're keeping annually. But they're all meaningless when the bringer is flawed. Let me put it in modern day terms. You have your Sunday morning. You have your Sunday night. You have your Wednesday night. You have your special revivals. You have your special services. You have even your prayer meetings. But I'm sick of it all if you're not going to get right. I don't care what you're doing or what you're perceiving to do if the man is fall. So, so all you're doing is just keeping a, little, you're keeping a little ritual. You're going through a nice little formalism of what you do every week, what you do every month and what you do on an annual basis. But it's meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Yes. Sure. Uh-huh. For that matter. You bringing it like that is an offense. You think you're doing good, but what you're doing is offending me. Notice, the offense to God in these verses, or an offense to God almost, you can read it. It's like an offense to God on every sensory level that a person could be offended. Yeah. Yeah. Look at it, because he talks to them. He, said, I, he says, I, I, I am full, verse 11, of thy burnt offerings, rams, and the fat of the I, I am full of them. In other words, almost like, you know, the Bible pictures, almost God consuming those animals. As though he would consume them and eat them in a figurative way. In other words, he said, I've had enough of the taste of it. You hearing me? And he goes on, he starts talking to them about their incense. It was an abomination. Smell. He starts to tell them about how even all these things are weary for him to bear. Touch. He starts to tell them about whenever their hands go forward, he says, "I hide my eyes. It's offensive to my sight." He talks about whenever they start to pray, that he will not want hear the sense of hearing. On every sensory level to God, he says, "This is an offense to me. I am completely upset. And all this is completely detestable, Judah, and your condition to me. Lean in here just for a little while longer. He's telling Judah listen, they were offering these things on the right altars, they were offering these things to the right God, they were offering not the sick and not the lame, but the best. That they could find and they did it with the best that they had. They did it at the right place. They did it at the right time and they did it to the right one. And all of that would have been grand, fine, and well if that was independent of the offering. But the best offering can't substitute for a subpar offering. Listen, it happens, folks. People believe they got everybody fooled. And you may, but you don't got God fooled. You don't got God fooled. I have preached in our years of evangelism, I have preached in pulpits where there were in them at one time baby monitors, and the person had a parsonage, and the wife would stay home and have affairs in her house and would know when church was over because she had placed a baby martyr in the pulpit and she knew knew when it was about ready to close and she'd come in and try to be the first lady of the church seemingly have everybody fooled but she was having seemingly a good offering but there was something wrong with the offerer I've come to tell this church tonight you can paint it up, dress it up, talk it up, act it up any way you want to but that will be rejected in the sight of God if the integrity of the offerer Because it's more than just grain and fruit. It's a life offering. So what I've learned in my life is this. That sometimes people use their offerings to mask a lack of integrity. To mask a lack of integrity in their own lives. They'll come in churches and they'll teach classes. And they'll serve on trustee boards of a church. And they will lead worship service to the best of their ability and far above. To circumvent the reality that their soul's condition before God is much lacking and greatly false. God says, I know the offerer by his offering. It may fool all, but it has not fooled me. Because to the common man, everything may seem well. To the common man, it might be the best that there ever was. To the common man, a person is doing great by how and what they are doing for the Lord and their service that they're doing for the Lord and giving of their time and their skills and ability to God. But God knows a farce when he sees one. God knows a mockery when he sees one. And he understands the offering to be dependent on be off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we can fool God but we'll never fool we can fool man but we'll never fool God and that's how then people across America may be functioning even tonight As a Sunday school teacher in a good apostolic Pentecostal church or a worship leader, and they're blowing and going. And it seems like, man, people's walking out the door and saying, My God, they are anointed. But just the day before, they were in a bed of fornication and on a drinking binge the night before. But they come in with their best and with their show and their offering. But God's not impressed. What the church is accepting, God is denying. We must know them that labor. We need to know them. We need to be sensitive with a spirit of discernment. Because everything that seems pure rules right. It's all right. It meets the qualifications. Is not meeting the qualifications of heaven. We live in a society that greatly paints for us a picture in the world and in the church this very matter. That it does not matter what you do. As long as you just serve the Lord. And what that's interpreted as is this. Just go on and bring your offering. As long as it looks right, as long as it looks pure, as long as it's seemingly acceptable, you are acceptable in the sight of God. But they miss the fact that the offering can only be truly acceptable if the person presenting it has the right motive and is acceptable. Am I doing okay? You said go on, and I'm not yet over the part I was going to skip, all right? First Corinthians six and nine verses of scripture speak this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such, everybody say were, and such were some of you. But you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. There is such a long list there that he speaks about that shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But he makes the denotation that he makes a little denoting there that such were such were everybody say were such were some of you. In other words, he's saying you're not still practicing those things. In other words, you're not bringing your offering and still practicing that. You're not trying to bring your offering and still participate in some of that. He said, so, no, that, that was you. Or, or that, that, that we were once that, but that's not who we are now. See, the generation that we live in, you bring your sacrifices and you still fornicate. In the generation that we live in, you teach a Sunday school class and you still cheat on your taxes. In the generation that we live in, you still go to church and you can sing a special on the platform and you can still be in a bed of adultery and be unfaithful to your spouse. In the generation that we live in, you can smoke and you can chew and you can cuss and you can drink alcohol and you can still be on the deacon board. But folks, somebody has closed their eyes to the word of God. He's not accepting the offering if he can't accept the offer. We got to do away with sin. It's crouching at the door, it's wanting to overcome us. But somebody needs to master that. That's who I was. That's not who I am. (laughs) Hello, will call and listen to me tonight there will people that will jump the boat of this church and they have there will be people jump the boat of this church because they still want to have their pets in and still have their offering accepted by the people but I'm standing up here as a proclaimer as if you will somebody that's a watchman on the wall and I pray God gives me some foresight to know what's acceptable and not acceptable you're not going to stand here if you tip the bottle you're not going to stand here if you catch like a seller you're not going to No, no, no. I'm not going to present it as good. And God reject it. It's not happening. And they've left this place. I'm telling you, people in recent days within the last six months have left this place to go do something what they couldn't do here. With the sanction that it's okay. That's a good offering. That's a good gift that you're presenting before the Lord. That's a bunk of trash and hogwash. That is no precious gift. That is an abomination to God. It's iniquity in the sight of God. And it's an offense to God. Mm-hmm. 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 Samuel basically told Saul Saul, God detests sacrifice that's unaccompanied by obedience of heart and life basically Isaiah is saying here to offer these things with no consideration of the temper or the spiritual life of the individual of the bringer, he said to do that to bring these with no consideration of yourself. He says is an iniquity. He says I hate them. They are a trouble. He says they're oppressive like a burden to me. When brought in that manner and that way. He says your offerings are a burden. To me. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. Notice what Isaiah Here's what Isaiah put forth as a remedy for Judah in verse 16. He said, wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes and cease to do evil. When you look at the words for wash me there in verse 16, it is a word in the Hebrew that's indicating that initial step of repentance of whenever we first come to God. He's saying, you need to have that. But whenever you see the next phrase of make you clean, he's just not restating the wash me. It's a different Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word that's indicating the meaning of that daily repentance we should have with God. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, he's saying, you know what you all need to do? You need to have an initial repentance, but you also need a daily repentance. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so. yeah, oh. He says, you need to have a daily repentance and put all this evil garbage from you and cease from doing it. It's not about just getting away from it. But it's about trying not to go back to it. The Bible tells us that we, can't, we cannot overcome evil. We cannot kill evil. But we can overcome evil with good. And so sin doesn't desire to master every one of us. But we got to become the master and not the slave. Look at Haggai chapter number 2 and verse 11. I'm going to preach along tonight. Just settle in. Someone says it's already been long, brush Hebrews 2.11. I remember Pastor Poole used to say this. He says, I'm preaching long because time is short. (laughs) Haggai two eleven. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these the bread, the pottage, the wine, the oil, or the meat shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. So is every work of their hands and that which they offer there is unclean. Why? Because the offerer is unclean and then whatever he touches becomes defiled. The condition of the person impacts the condition of the things that they come in contact. In their life. So listen to pastor. And I'm giving you hope. But listen. It's impossible for an unclean person. To offer a clean sacrifice. It is utterly impossible. For an unclean person. To offer a clean sacrifice. And so what that does for us. From the Old Testament. Throwing us toward the New Testament. Is that points all of us. Then toward Calvary. Because nothing we could bring. Wouldn't meet the qualification. Brother Greg of cleanliness. To be able to be offered unto the Lord. It would not be good enough for heaven. But Christ became the clean sacrifice. For us. And he became the life offering. For us. But that doesn't make. That we're off the hook. What that means now. Is as a a maintainer of the offering. As a maintainer of the gift. I must remain the master of sin. Rather than. A slave to sin i got to be a master of sin and a slave to salvation. (laughs) He came and was the offering. Because I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring that on my own. But now I've received the benefits of that. I've been made a beneficiary, if you will, of that sacrifice. It is up to me as a maintainer to watch when sin's crouching at the door. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.4. Many people go here whenever they look at Genesis 4. By faith. Everybody say by faith. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. It's not that Abel became righteous when he offered the offering. It's that when he offered the offering. Since God accepted it, he then now had a witness that he was righteous. Already was. And so if that was a witness for Abel that he was righteous, whenever the offering of Cain was dejected, that was a witness to him. That he wasn't. What are you going to do with the witness of the Lord? Go and say amen. I got to move, man. We got a lot of ground to cover. Y'all stop and taking drinks of your bottles of water. Ecclesiastes 5 and 1. The Bible says, the preacher Solomon says, Keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God. And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be more ready to to sacrifice. For they consider not that they do evil. Solomon had visited the courtroom. Solomon had visited the marketplace. The highway. The palace. All these different things. And now he's paying a visit to the temple. That magnificent building and structure. That that he had supervised. That he had uh, some responsibility in. And he watched as the worshippers came. And he watched as the worshippers went. As they praised God. As they prayed. As they sacrificed. As they made their vows. And made their offerings. And then he noticed on his way to the temple. There are some steps that lead to the temple mount if you will position in Jerusalem and they are a caution each and every one of us this is why the writer says keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God it's my understanding I've never been there to the temple mount perhaps somebody there amen could qualify this but I read it I believe from a respectable source it is my understanding that if you were to take a trip to Jerusalem and stand on these steps leading to the house of God you would notice that they are uneven the risers are not all the same the depth of the steps are not all the same. And the ones who built it, built it with purpose and intention, made those steps uneven so that people, while they were on their way to the house of God, they were given consideration in their walk in getting there. They wouldn't enter there with haste. And then on the flip side, whenever they left, they wouldn't leave there with haste. But they had to give consideration in how they were walking. Someone say amen. They couldn't hurry to enter. They couldn't hurry to leave. They had to be mindful about what they were ready to do on their way in. The Bible even tells us in Ephesians 5 that we should walk circumspectly or we should walk carefully. We should watch every step. And so not just on your way to his presence, but after you've given your offering. Consider as you go back out into the world how your steps are ordered. Someone say glory. 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 Because if you'll note the life of Cain after this whole scenario, what does the Bible describe? It it uses some of those most, most saddening words in Scripture that are used just a few times throughout the Word of God. It tells us that Cain left the presence of God. He left the presence of God. And what did he become? He became a vagabond. He became a wanderer. Someone hear me? He became a wanderer. Because whenever you are sin's slave, rather than sin's master, you will never find any place settled in this world when you leave the presence of God. I'm hurrying. I'm going close. Stand with me. I, I got it. I got six minutes before I reach an hour. Look here what the Bible says in Micah. Micah, rather. Talking about a life offering. Again, I believe the issue was the type of offering, the timing of the offering. It was the integrity of the offerer. Micah 6 and 6 says, wherewith shall I come before the Lord? Wherewith shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Let me just increase the intensity of it. Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn? I mean, surely. For my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. The word of the Lord comes through the mind of prophet Micah and says, verse 8 He has shewed thee, O man, what is good. What do the Lord require thee? You thinking it's in your offerings, per se? What does the Lord require thee? But to do justly, rightly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. There's one person years ago said it, doing a justice is a way of loving mercy, which in turn is a manifestation of walking humbly with God. The Lord says, what do I require thee? Notice he didn't say anything about their offering. He turned his attention toward the man. He turned his attention toward the person. Because it matters not what the offering is. When the extension of the life of the person is defiled, it will have impact. It will have influence upon what may be considered the best of best offerings that a man, woman, or Christian could bring into the presence of the Lord. And so I'm asking us in the closure of this service, in the closure of this year, that we evaluate the offerings that we're bringing to the house of God. Because in reality, they are life, life offerings. That hand clap might be cute. That dance might be admirable. But if behind the curtain of all of that is a vicious sin that has encapsulated and enslaved you, Let's pull back the curtain and get to the real issue. Let's pull back the curtain and get to the real issue. And whenever that's taken care of, the offerings will not be detestable on the sight of God. But they'll be honorable on the sight of God. They won't be abomination to him. They won't be a burden to him. But they will be pleasing in the sight of the Lord. These altars are open. We can just bow our heads all across this place. Man, that's some strong preaching tonight, Brother McGee. That's all right. That happens time to time, and I don't feel bad about it at all. I've talked to God this week, and I feel like this is what God wanted for this service. Hallelujah. These altars are open. Amen. Whenever you're coming forward, it's not saying, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm a big sinner, and I'm doing all this stuff. Folks, sometimes we just got to be aware about what may be crouching down at our door, what might be there that's desired. Desiring to overtake us, desiring, if you will, to enslave us, desiring to one up us. We just need to be aware of our surroundings, aware of the things that are lurking, if you will, to take us down or to subvert our steps or subvert our relationship or our walk with God. It's sometimes it's not about you committing those things. It's about, though, we just need to take in an awareness of our surroundings. We need to check ourselves out and see what is there in the darkness around the corner, wishing to undermine our Relationship with God. Your offering isn't an extension of your life. Your offering is an extension of your life. And again, please do not forget your offering cannot accomplish what your life does not practice. Your offering cannot accomplish what your life does not practice. Here I am, Lord. Thank you for listening.